You're listening to For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. Welcome back to another episode of For the Record with Tess Hurd. I'm Tess Hurd, and this is For the Record. I hope that you all are having an incredible week and an even more incredible Friday, or whatever day it is that you're listening to this on. Maybe you like your true crime on a Wednesday evening, soaking in the tub, surrounded by candles with lavender-scented bath salts. Or maybe you prefer your true crime on a random Tuesday afternoon while walking the dog, or carrying out the trash. Either way, I'm just glad you're here, and thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Today, we are continuing the case of Rock Theriault and the cult he would come to lead. I think I got a little mixed up last week on when Rock actually left the Seventh Day Adventist Church, so I am going to clarify that in this episode. But we left off with Rock having an, quote, encounter with God while on a retreat in the wilderness with the Seventh-day Adventist church. He claimed that while he was sitting on this cutout on a cliff, he saw the white light of God, and God told him that the land he stood on was holy. I said it sounded like the story of Moses from the Bible, and the burning bush, but I didn't quite realize how true that statement would be. So without further ado, this is the rest of the story of Rock Theriault and the Ant Hill Kids. After this encounter with God on this holy land, Rock decided it was time to take things a step further. He, along with his eight live-in followers, Giselle, Solange, Chantel, Francine, Nicole, Gabrielle, Jackie, and Claude, they had began to grow a reputation as healer. Specifically, Rock was the healer, and his followers were just his assistants, I guess. In lieu of this, Rock decided that it was time to leave Thetford Mines and relocate to St. Marie, which according to Murderpedia was 65 kilometers south of Quebec City. Like I said in last week's episode, I don't know Canadian geography, so I have no idea where this is at. In St. Marie, Rock and his followers would open up the Healthy Living Clinic, a quote, clinic that focused on the Seventh-day Adventist diet and clean eating as well as sell church literature. This is where Rock would slowly find more followers, with several of them selling all of their personal belongings, donating all of the profits to the clinic before joining Rock in his cult. Geraldine Eclair, 
would be admitted to the Healthy Living Clinic in March of 1978. She had been diagnosed with leukemia and was receiving treatment from a hospital in Quebec City, but somehow Geraldine's husband had met Rock and it all went downhill from there. Mr. Auclair was convinced by Rock to admit Geraldine to the clinic instead of having received treatments from the hospital. You know, the well-educated, scientifically proven ways and medications where they treat people with illnesses. Apparently, that just wasn't the right way to go. Rock actually went to the hospital to visit Geraldine where he got into a very loud verbal altercation with her doctors about treatment and the amount of drugs they were giving her. Up until this point, Geraldine's health had been improving, so the drugs must have been working, at least to some degree. But still, Rock insisted that Geraldine be brought to the clinic where he could heal her from her leukemia. Now, Rock's idea of treating leukemia was a regimen of grape juice. Yes, you heard that right. Grape juice and organic foods. Don't get me wrong. I believe that a, like, a, a healthy diet can greatly improve your overall health. But I am also a huge advocate for medications and treatments You know, I live with a chronic illness day in and day out, and I listen to my doctors, I take the medication they subscribe, and I'm still kicking. So they must be on to something. And even as a Christian, I believe that God gave man the knowledge to make medicine, so I don't think that all medicine is bad. Anyways. Geraldine was drinking her grape juice and eating her organic diet, but her health was not improving. And after an unknown amount of time spent in the clinic, Geraldine tragically died at the hands of Rock. He told his followers that she had died, and when he had gone into her room, he kissed her and she awoke again, but then she died again. He said in a quote from Murderpedia, You know, when God wants people, he takes them. It was Geraldine's time. Around this same time, there was also another female, a young 19-year-old girl with severe multiple sclerosis. She was admitted to the clinic. Her parents had met Rock at one of his anti-smoking seminars and thought he would be able to help their daughter. Little else is said about this girl other than later on he married her but did not have any kind of intimate relations with her as she could not physically do so. On top of these failed attempts to heal people and having more and more people blindly following Rock into the cultish ways he was establishing, he also made the workers at the clinic wear very cult-like uniforms. The women were to wear green ankle-length tunics, while the men were to wear beige tunics of the same cut. Rock, of course, wouldn't have to wear this. No, he wore a brown robe. Just a robe. I don't know if this was like a house coat or a plush robe, but it was a robe. The patrons of the clinic 
would volunteer their resources and their time to the clinic. Like I said before, several of these people sold everything they owned and donated the money to the clinic and to Rock and then joined this little commune thing that he had going on. With more and more people joining the cult, all of the women, except for one very smart lady, Maurice Grenier, began to fight for Rock's affection. They all wanted to be the apple of his eye, the one woman he adored more than any other. Now, Giselle, who Rock had been involved with since before his marriage to Francine ended, you know, the one that he moved in with but didn't actually move in with because it was wrong for a man and woman to live together before they were married, but he was still sleeping with her. Yeah, that one. She was noticing all of these women vying for Rock's attention and affection. And she was really becoming worried that she was going to lose him to one of the other girls. So she proposed to Rock in hopes that marriage might keep him by her side and in her bed only. Rock took about a week to finally give Giselle an answer, and they were married on January 28, 1978, at an Adventist church in Montreal. The whole group attended, and the entire five-hour trip back to St. Marie, Giselle laid on a mattress in the back of the van and wept as Rock joked around and flirted with all the other women in the group. Giselle was convinced that her marriage was not done out of love, but out of an act to prove Rock was sincere to the Seventh-day Adventist Church. Unfortunately for Rock, the Seventh-day Adventists were not convinced, and one of their members, Pierre Zita, had even tried approaching parents of some of the girls in the cult to attempt to have them bring their girls home. He even tried to convince Giselle herself, Rock's new wife, to leave him and the cult. The hold that Rock had on these women, though, was untouchable. Some of the parents of the girls had asked police to please go and get their daughters, or at least try to talk them into coming home. But when police came, the girls just flat out refused to speak to them. After the death of Geraldine in the clinic, the Seventh-day Adventist finally decided to vote Rock out of the church. At Pierre Zita's request, in April of 1978, he was pretty much disowned from the church. Rock was less than happy about this and decided to take his anger out on his followers. Now, he didn't necessarily do anything bad at this point, but he decided that to have more control over them he was going to marry them off to other members of the group. Despite the men and the women not being remotely interested in one another, Rock paired up several men and women, Claude Olette with Solange Bolliard, Jackie Fiest 
with Nicole Rule and several others who were not mentioned. Solange decided to invite her parents to the wedding and after consulting their own priest, they decided to attend just to be there for Solange and show her that they were still on her side and that they still loved her, despite their worries and concerns about her being in this cult. Many of her family members wept bitterly at the ceremony. Rock stressed the meaning of what it meant to be a wife and how the woman was essentially a servant to her husband. Solange's family was even more concerned for her after this. Later that spring, Giselle would find herself pregnant with Rock's child. She was still having difficulty with the attention he was giving the other women, so she gave him an ultimatum. Break the commune and send the other girls off, or she was going back home to her father. Rock's response to this? Punch her in the face and forbid her to leave the room for the next two days. The downward spiral that begins now is one that I can only tell you to prepare yourselves for. What we've talked about so far has been child's play compared to what is about to come. If you are sensitive, squeamish, or easily upset by graphic things, stop right now and do not finish this episode. I am trying to give you a fair warning, so please stop. Do not continue if you are sensitive or do not like graphic things. Please don't say that I didn't warn you if you continue to listen. You are listening on your own accord. Okay? Let's move on. June of 1978, the demise of the Healthy Living Clinic was inevitable. With the Seventh-day Adventist Church cutting off their organic foods and literature supplies, the clinic was not bringing in as many patients. Despite still making decent money, though, the clinic was also accumulating an increasing amount of debt that was not being paid. Police were also keeping an eye on the clinic, which had increased significantly since Geraldine's death earlier in the year. With the lack of supplies and the increase in police surveillance, Rock decided it was time to up and move. After several weeks of traveling, the group found themselves in the village of St. George, and on July 9th, 1978, the group began hiking for two days until they came across an isolated plot of land near a body of water called La Sec, or translated to Dry Lake. Rock named this mound of land Eternal Mountain, where the group would experience the end of the world on February 17, 1979. This would be the place where they would become the, quote, chosen people who would survive boulder-sized hail, lightning, and earthquakes. They would all survive if and only if they lived a righteous life. Without a second thought, the group agreed and they began to make this area of land their new home. They all set up tents for the time being, but quickly got to work on what would be 
the community cabin where a well would be placed in the center for water, beds would be available for each family, and concerts and shows would be put on by Rock when he was feeling up to performing. Which, I mean, his whole life has been a huge performance at this point, so. The group would work at least 17 hours a day, seven days a week, cleaning the land and moving supplies and just getting the place up and in order. Claude and Jackie were tasked with shoveling the ground until they found water. When they did, Rock exclaimed that it was a miracle. On top of their slave-like work days, Rock also rationed their food, and if anyone complained or griped about still being hungry, he would cut off their portions even more, more so than he already had. Rock himself could eat as much as he wanted, though. He also did not have to do any of the manual labor that the followers were doing. He claimed his stomach pains from his ulcers were too much for him to be doing manual labor, and that his role as their leading priest, or whatever, was much more important than their manual work. Several of the followers left after this, saying their passports had expired and they had to return home. Others just left, and when that happened, Rock told the group that the devil had devoured them and they were evil in God's eyes now. The cabin was complete in September of 1979. It consisted of one room with a floor made of pounded wood rounds, a well in the center, a ceiling made of logs covered in moss and twigs, and rooms made of meter-high partitions that were separated by bedsheets hung from the ceiling. As if this wasn't bad enough, Rock also wanted to give everybody new names from the Old Testament. He was Moses. I wonder why he chose Moses. Something to do with the holy ground and the burning bush? Now, his followers affectionately would call him Pappy, and his wife, Giselle, would be Mammy. In October of that year, Giselle went to Rock and told him that the women who were not married off previously were lonely. Rock then decided it would be a grand idea to marry all of the women in the cult and annul any of the previous marriages he'd arranged. Now, Giselle found out around this time that Rock had slept with Nicole Rule while everyone else was still working on the cabin. Giselle, understandably being hurt and upset, ran from the commune, only to be dragged back by Rock, where he then wrapped his hands around her throat and choked her until she almost passed out. After this, Giselle was too terrified to try and leave again. Shortly after this, Rock gave up the Seventh-day Adventist diet and began eating junk food and meat and dairy, and he also began drinking again. At first, it was only communion wine, then beer, and then the harder liquors. He even went so far as to prostitute some of the women out to local grocers so they could get the things he wanted like meat and cheese and milk. 
At one point, Maurice Grenier was pregnant and needing more sustenance. And so she ate two more pancakes at breakfast than Rock himself ate. He punched her in the side, breaking two of her ribs as a punishment. When Murray started to talk about leaving, Rock told her husband to cut off one of her toes. When her husband gasped in horror, Rock asked him, and this is a quote, he said, what, are you a faggot? Don't you have any balls? If you want to be a man, you have to learn how to teach your woman a lesson. Maurice's husband began to cry. And so Rock picked up an axe and said he would go and cut off all of her toes himself. Instead of letting that happen, her husband took the axe and cut off one of Maurice's pinky toes. He then became Rock's enforcer. But nothing else is said about that throughout the rest of my research, so I really don't know what that means. We're going to fast forward a little bit here. In the early part of 1980, Rock's two sons from his first marriage, Rock Jr. and Francois, were coming to the commune to live with him. Rock decided to throw a huge party to celebrate. Guy Veer, the newest member of the cult, was not invited to the party, but was put on babysitting duty for the children. According to Rock, Veer had lost his temper with two-year-old Samuel and punched him in the face five or six times. According to Giselle, Samuel only had some slight bruising on his head. Still bad, but he was okay. But Rock decided the child needed to be circumcised. He used a 94% ethanol solution to not only sterilize the razor, but also filled a bottle and gave it to baby Samuel to, quote, sedate him for the procedure. The alcohol alone was enough to kill Samuel, but the actual cause of his death is unknown. They burned Samuel's body, and after that, everything went back to normal. Six months later, drunk and angry, Rock thought it was a time, it was the perfect time that Guy Veer should be held responsible for the death of Samuel. They had a trial of sorts, and seven out of ten people wanted to castrate Veer. Veer suffered from headaches, and Rock told him that if they castrated him, his headaches would go away. So Veer agreed. Shockingly, the procedure was painless for Veer, and after he healed, he never once complained of another headache. Now, I wonder if he never complained of another headache because he didn't have any, or because he knew that if he said anything about having another headache, Rock would, you know, maybe want to take off the whole member and not just, you know, castrate him. But the audacity of Rock to say that removing his testicles would cure his headache is just, it's unreal to me. This would not be the end of the torment that Veer would face, though. Rock essentially made him the pincushion of the cult. He would beat Veer, play mind games with him, and have other members stab him in the chest with knives in hopes that he would eventually bleed out, but then 
call it off. Like God calling Abraham off right before he sacrificed Isaac. Lear had finally had enough, and one night he escaped to a local village where he told police that a child had been killed by being kicked by a horse. Police went to the commune, but when questioned about the child who died and Veer's medical situation, they all told police that Veer had killed the child, and they voted, showing the ballots for his castration, and the letter of consent which Rock had asked him to sign after telling him his castration would cure his headaches. The police found the remains of Samuel and promptly removed the other seven children from the commune, placing them in foster homes. A coroner was able to determine that the group was at fault for Samuel's death, and Rock, Maurice, Jackie, Gabrielle, and Guy Vier were all charged with criminal neglect causing bodily harm to Samuel. Claude, the one who burned the body, was charged with obstruction of justice justice. Jackie and Maurice were charged with neglect towards their oldest daughter, and Claude and Solange were also charged with neglect towards their son. Rock and Gabrielle were also charged with bodily harm with intent to mutilate Veer. They all pleaded not guilty. The sentencing for the group was minuscule to what it should have been. Rock, two years. Gabrielle, nine months with three years probation. Veer was sentenced, but he would be acquitted on reason of mental instability and would be transferred back to the hospital Robert Gifford. 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 I'm not sure the pronunciation on that. The rest of the group was let out on bail on the condition that they would not return to the cabin. They all received probation, with Claude also having to serve six months in prison. The cult would spread themselves out across Quebec City in apartments so to be closer to Rock while he served his time. In February of 1984, Rock was released from prison, and while the rest of the members wanted to stay in the city, Rock had other plans. They went back into the wilderness to start all over, from the very beginning like they had done several years before. They rebuilt their home this time with a full kitchen and a bakery. They had a way to mill in water from the spring that was on a neighboring lot and had a smokehouse. They also had a stone, quote, sanctuary, well, where Rock would go and, quote, commune with God. This entire place was built by nine women and two men. Nine women. Girl power, am I right? Four of these women were also pregnant, and they were looking after the ten children they'd had in the commune. Now, I don't know if seven of these children were the seven that had been removed from the home previously, or if somehow in between the time that Rock was in prison, they had ten children. I really don't know. I don't think so because the children ranged from ages 2 to 15, I believe. So some of those kids must have been the ones that had previously been taken from the commune whenever they found out about baby Samuel. They would work all throughout the summer, 
and they wore long sleeves and pants even during the hottest days to keep the bugs from getting them. This time, Rock designated each of his wives a certain chore or responsibility. There was no indication of what those were other than it said that Maurice was the lowest on the totem pole. When the government wouldn't give the commune financial assistance because they were considered an institution and not a family, the group began to steal. One of the members was caught stealing along with five others, and what was the grand prize for stealing? Being banned from ever shopping in the town ever again. Great idea, guys. That's the way to show them. After this, though, Rock began asking his followers to reach out to their families for money. When the parents told the girls they could have money, but only if they left the commune, Rock would then say that this only proved his point even more, that the outside world was evil and trying to get them. Because of not having any money, the group decided to start selling their fruits and pastries from the commune. This gave them an income. This is also where Rock gave them the name the Ant Hill Kids, because they looked like a swarm of ants working together. Rock began to become increasingly bored, though. And when Rock was bored, Rock would drink. When Rock would drink, Rock would become a completely different person. He would rant and rave about his precious treasures, which really were just costume jewelry pieces that weren't worth a dime. He would beat the members of the commune and have them perform heinous sexual acts to one another. He would beat them with the blunt side of an axe or a hammer, not allowing them to go to the hospital afterwards. He would have the members urinate on each other or rub feces on each other. He even went so far as to slice Jackie's jugular with a broken glass, then ordered him to be circumcised. Yet the members of the cult still followed him with no questions. You see, in their eyes, they had sinned, and Rock was purifying them of their sins by punishing them the way he did. After all of these acts, though, and when the alcohol had worn off, Rock would cry and beg God to stop using him as a means to act out his cruel justice. And let me tell you right now, God's cruel justice is not like this. In fact, God doesn't have cruel justice, okay? God is just and he does have justice, but this is not in the means of physical torment at the hands of another human being. That is not God. That is a wicked, twisted human being using God's name to invoke control and power. That is a cult. That is a cult leader. Now, we're getting to some of the worst of the worst in this case. Gabrielle had become pregnant with Rock's baby, a boy who they would name Eliezer. I think that's how you pronounce that. Eliezer, Eliezer. Rock hated this child, often beating him 
and claiming he bore the mark of the beast. As an act of quote-unquote mercy, on the morning of January 26, 1985, Gabrielle put her five-month-old son in a wheelbarrow outside in the 14-degree cold around 9 a.m. By 10.45 a.m., Eliezer, Eleazar, would be dead, frozen to death at the hands of his own mother. Al Lackey, the county coroner and a friend of Rock, claimed that the child died from sudden infant death syndrome. After this, the commune would be watched like a lion hunting its prey. Things only began to get worse. One night, Claude had upset Rock for no known reason, and as punishment, made him wear a tightly wound rubber band around his scrotum. He had to wear it overnight, causing irreparable damage. Rock then, quote, operated on Claude, removing his testicles, plucking them out with nothing but his fingers. Now, I am obviously not a man, but that even made me squirm. Rock then threatened to kill Claude, who was somehow able to get up and run away, hiding in the woods until the next day when Rock would have had time to calm down and sober up. Then, just a short time later, he got angry with Giselle and threw a beer bottle at her, causing a three-inch deep gash to her leg. Rock drank another beer and then went to sleep waking up the next day to Giselle's leg infected with a blood clot. Rock would then press on her leg until the wound reopened and then use the hot iron to cauterize the wound. When it was still infected a few, day late, a few days later, he opened it back up again and filled it with salt, ouch, olive oil, gross, and spruce gum. Giselle tried to escape when her leg had improved some, but Rock would always find her and beg her to come back, saying that it was her role in God's plan to be his wife. See, using God's God as a means of power and control? That's a cult, people! His tyrant and role of abuse only went on. He would take hot irons dipped in acetone and rub it over his followers' skin until their skin would bubble. He punched his son, Rock Jr., in the face when he refused to wrestle with his little brother, Francois. He beat three-month pregnant Nicole, causing her to have a miscarriage. He later shot Nicole with a 303 caliber bullet through her shoulder. He broke Giselle's nose with his steel-toed boots. He pulled 11 of Claude's teeth with a pair of pliers. He tied Claude up and suspended him from the ceiling, demanding the women pluck all of his body hair out with tweezers one by one. And his abuse didn't end with the people. No, he even beat one of the commune's horses to death with a chain and then had Claude burn the body. He would make his followers eat each other's feces and dead mice. 
He shot them. He choked them until they passed out. He whipped them in the face, causing damage to their eyes. He stuck a needle in Gabrielle's back and twisted it until it broke off under her skin. He burned her breast and her genitals with a torch. He had Jackie cut off half of her left pinky finger with a pair of wire cutters. At one point, Gabrielle's uterus had prolapsed, meaning it was literally falling out of her body. Her uterus was protruding three inches out of her lady bits. Rock thought that punching her uterus back inside her body would fix it. He then made a wooden cone and truss to, quote, plug her up so it wouldn't fall out again. When that didn't work, he tied a string around the exposed part of her uterus and tried to rip it out like a loose tooth. Gabrielle would eventually have to have a partial hysterectomy because of the damage done, but it would be over a year later before that would happen. Solange would be his next victim. He had, Solange had begun to feel ill, and Rock said it was her liver and she needed an operation. He took her to the bakery where she stripped down and laid on the table. He forcefully inserted an enema made of molasses, oil, and water. Half an hour later, nothing had happened. So he began punching and pushing on her stomach. When Solange tried to cover herself up with her hands and defend herself, protect herself, Rock simply told her to move her hands and she did. Then, Rock shoved a tube down her throat and had other women blow and suck on the tube. Then, he cut a five-inch incision on her right side below her ribs and pulled out a piece of body tissue four inches long and a quarter of an inch thick. He told her she would be fine now and had another one of the members sew her up. Afterwards, he gave her a warm bath filled with cherries, weird, which only made her feel worse. He then had her sit in a cold bath before going to bed, blood now coming out of her mouth. Solange would go to sleep that night, never to wake up. Doctors would later say that Solange had died of acute perionitis, an inflammation of the peritoneum caused by digestive fluids leaking into the ab abdominal cavity. After Solange's death, Rock tried ending his own life several times, but was unsuccessful, saying that a force always stopped him, that God didn't want him to die. And I don't think that God wants anyone to die, even the most heinous of people, but I mean, I don't think that very many people would have been upset if he would have succeeded. This is where I think I fought with whether or not I wanted to keep listening to true crime. After a while, Rock had someone officiate a wedding between himself and Solange's corpse. After this, he had her body dug up from the ground and had Gabrielle cut her open and pour vinegar into her body over her vital organs to keep the worms away. She was buried again, only to be exhumed again three days later. When he had Jackie drill a hole into her skull. 
rock, then grotesquely and disgustingly masturbated into Solange's skull, allowing his seed to spill on her half-rotten brain, believing that this would bring her back to life. Giselle could see that this was absolutely deplorable and told Rock that Solange had wished to be cremated. Rock agreed, but before burning her body, he had Gabrielle remove one of her ribs so he could always have a piece of her with him. After burning the body, Rock took some of the bone fragments left and put them in a jar with olive oil to preserve them. Rock would then continually masturbate into the jar in hopes of giving her sort of a reverse birth by bringing her back to life with his sperm. Thankfully, we are finally coming to an end with this horror show. Sometime later, Gabrielle would tell Rock that she had a stiff pinky finger. Without saying a word, Rock stabbed her entire hand with a kitchen knife, pinning her to the table. Giselle, or Gabrielle did not cry. She did not scream. She did not react in any way. Rock then went and got another beer, waited about 45 minutes, came back, and her entire hand had turned blue. And Rock said the only way to save it was to cut the arm off. He took a carpenter knife and began whittling away at her bone and chipping away at the nerves. And But then he got tired and told one of the other girls to finish the job. She was carefully trying to finish the job, but she couldn't get through the bone. So Rock pulled out the knife from her hand and took her over to a stump that was in the floor and took a meat cleaver and smashed her arm, missing the bone the first time. The second time he got it, amputating Gabrielle's arm. The next day, Gabrielle fled to a woman's shelter, but she returned shortly after at the request of Jackie. When she returned, Rock said that her arm looked infected and used a pair of scissors to cut out the infection. He also sliced her head open and took out a large chunk of one of her breasts. Gabrielle fled again into the woods, but soon found that bugs had laid eggs in her head wound, and she returned to the cabin once more. Rock was still drunk when she returned and still wanting to operate. After sawing off the gear shaft of one of the vehicles, Rock heated up the metal until it was burning red. He then pressed the scorching metal against Gabrielle's arm, but he was so drunk that he kept dropping it and hitting her body elsewhere. When he finally finished, Gabrielle ran and she never looked back. August 16, 1989, Gabrielle found her way to a hospital. She tried to come up with some story about what happened to her arm, but when police arrived, they ended up filing a charge of aggravated assault against Rock. When police arrived at the compound on the 19th of August, the plot of land had all but been abandoned. It would take police six weeks to find Rock and the rest of the cult. After being found, he was sent before the court and sentenced to 12 years in prison for the assault of Gabrielle. Giselle came forward that same day and told police about what happened to Solange. Rock agreed to plead guilty to second-degree murder if no other charges were brought against him. In the end, 
Rock was sentenced to life in prison, being eligible for parole in 1999. Rock would never see life outside of prison again, though. He would get a taste of his own medicine, being murdered by one of his fellow inmates on February 26, 2011. There is so much of this story that I had to leave out because of time and trying to keep this all in one episode. The victims of Rock all suffered immeasurably and all by a man who just wanted power and control over them. Up until his death, Rock still had several of his followers visiting him in prison and showing their loyalty. Gabrielle wrote an account of her time with the Ant Hill kids and how it's truly a miracle that she survived. It is in French though, and I haven't been able to find an English translation, but if I do, I'm definitely going to be reading that. The whereabouts of other members are unknown, but I truly hope that they were able to get the help that they needed and heal after what they went through. It's just so crazy that this all started out so innocently, insane, but innocently and turn into such a horrific horrific line of events for these people my heart goes out to these people and their children and their families thankfully all of the children in the cult were made permanent wards of the crown meaning they all went into foster care and likely were all adopted one of the adoptees was actually the man who married Rocket to Solange after she passed. He quickly realized that Rock's commune was bad news and actually stood up to him in front of some of his followers and had absolutely no communication with him after that. I will have a link in the description where you can read all of the information and get the entire story. I'm sorry I couldn't all fit it in here, but after four hours of trying to condense it, this is where we wound up. And I still think this is going to be entirely too long of an episode, but here we are. But thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and please leave a five-star review because you know that really helps your girl out. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit that like button for me. That pushes it out to the algorithm and gets more people to listen. If you are not following us on Facebook, please do so at For the Record with Tess Heard. You can also join our private fan group, The Record Keepers. If you're not following me on Instagram, you can also do that at type.one.tess. And if you have a case suggestion or have any questions or just want to say hi, shoot me an email at fortherecordwithme at gmail.com. All right, guys, I hope that you all have a fantastic weekend. And until next week, the record will so reflect. This is just a little post-editing update. I realized that I never came back to what happened on February 17th, whenever the world was supposed to end. Of course, that day came and went and the world did not end. There was no boulder-sized hail, there were no earthquakes, there was no lightning. It was just an ordinary day. So, of course, Rock decided that the best way to explain this was to say that interpreting God's time was difficult.
what is one time frame in God's eyes is a different time frame in man's eyes. And of course, the followers just believed that with no questions asked. And I couldn't find anything that said that there was a secondary earth-ending, world-ending day. So, I just wanted to throw that little bit in there so you guys wouldn't be like, Oh, she never said anything about that. What happened with that? There is that. Okay, continue on to your next podcast.